Hi, I'm Leslie Manukian, President of Health Freedom Defense Fund and host of Conversations on Health Freedom. Our guest today is Chad Lavelia. I hope I said that right, Chad. You did. A New York attorney who is pushing back against what can only be described as medical tyranny in the state of New York. Chad has had many successes, and he's going to tell us all about those and discuss his personal reasons for joining the crusade for basic human rights. Welcome to the show, Chad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. It's great to, um, I can't wait to hear all about your most recent win and of course your earlier um, success on masks. So Chad, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, what your practice is like, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So my practice now is pretty much essentially taking on the, you know, the tyranny of the government as you said very well, this medical tyranny. And um, that's what I'm essentially doing in constitutional litigation. Um, My background is a a trial lawyer and I've tried over 30 cases, mostly criminal stuff. But um, this is where my heart's at now and I'm keeping on the fight. Well, since you brought that up, why don't you tell us what got you into this? Because not everybody is passionate about health freedom and our rights. And in particular, a lot of attorneys aren't. So what was it that actually hooked you into this, that brought you into wanting to defend people's health freedoms? Good question. Uh, So I've always been a protector or believer in individual rights, always. Um, That's how our constitution works. And I was at a board meeting last September. It was my, like my second board meeting and um, they were going over the masks and how kids were going to have to wear masks when they returned to school. And I looked around and I saw a lot of parents just distraught and they were begging the board to do something. And all they got in response was, you know, hands up. And so I saw an opportunity to try to help these these parents and uh, find out what's going on. I go up to the mic and I ask the lawyer, "What's the deal with this mask mandate? I don't I don't understand." And he gave me a bunch of baloney, and uh, I went back home. I went on Westlaw and I started researching, only to discover that our governor had literally made up this power to mandate mass through the commissioner of health. I've never seen anything like it. And the fact that everyone was just oblivious to it was even more astonishing. And that, that was my biggest motivator to keep on fighting because once our, as you know, once our individual rights are gone like that, they don't, we don't get them back. I was just going to say history teaches us that once those rights are taken away, they're not ever given back voluntarily, right? There's almost always serious um, fighting and even unfortunately bloodshed in order to return those rights. Absolutely. And, and so it's essential that we, we fight for them, but uh, really uh, the children um, was the main motivating factor. It's not my children, it's all these children who are not hearing their stories. is just, it's, it's astonishing the, the the pain and the suffering that they silently sat through 
in class being masked all day. And I, I fought to rectify that and I'm continuing to take that on with, um, you know, uh, other passionate folks. But you're right, there's not a lot of lawyers out there and um, it's kind of just fell on my on me and I, I stepped up and will continue to step up. So you made a really interesting comment just talking about that you went up to the, I think the head of the board and you were asking, you know, what's going on here? What is your take? I have never in my life seen school districts, city councils, governors, health departments, everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. What happened? Why did this happen? How do you, how do you, um, how do you <laughs> interpret that they were all literally operating lockstep? Great observation. And it's something I've been asking myself for a very long time because you're this is this this is really unprecedented. I I I'm, I think that well here in New York, there's a monopoly of law firms that represent these school districts. So that's one problem. They're giving out universal advice across the board. Two, the governor here, Kathy Hochul, um, threatened to pull funds from them if they defied her masking determination. So I think it was fear. Because I, I know on my local school board, there's great members, there's great school board members in, in all these other districts, but is that fear of having funds withdrawn combined with lawyers who will not go to bat? And because look, it's easy to just say, yeah, just follow the, these directions. It covers their butts, but leaves us all out to dry. And so that, that's my interpretation. Money talks very loudly, doesn't it? <laughs> sure does. Unfortunately, a little too loud. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to me that it's very clear to me that there was a major agenda for those who haven't been following um, the whole health freedom movement for a long time. I've been involved with it for nearly 20 years now. It's very clear to me that this was an agenda that they put in place. And I mean, I knew from the very beginning of January of 2020 that they were finally implementing the process um, that they had basically been preparing for for the last 20 years. You know, I'm talking about the Patriot Act and then the model state emergency health powers legislation and the, the PrEP Act and all these things that were put in place 20, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, which really paved the way for where we are here today. Um, right. Let's talk about the most exciting thing, though, because that is the huge win that you just had in New York. Why don't you tell us about the case? You sued, I believe, the city of New York on behalf of sanitation workers um, who were being unlawfully, wrongfully terminated and prevented from working. And, you know, why don't you just explain that to us and what happened? Sure. I'll, I'll try to put it in a nutshell because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with it, the, the mayor and the commissioner of health in New York City decided to implement a vaccine mandate, which is problematic to begin with, as we know it, but instead of making it universal to everybody, which would make sense in, you know, 
a deadly virus is spreading. So they say it's it's all or nothing, right? They select the public workforce, almost like they're testing out how far can they stretch their power? What are the limits of it? And so they, they target just public employees, city employees at first, and then they swallow up all city employees. Then the mayor and the commissioner included the private sector. So in January of this year, um, everyone who had everyone who worked in the city had to get vaccinated. It's crazy. Now, a bunch of lawsuits were filed um, since 2021. Every single one lost. And I'm reading these opinions and I'm seeing just huge gaps in the reasoning. The, the judges are almost making up law that didn't exist before. And you can tell why. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's because they're biased. Uh, you, you can recognize it very clearly that there is a bias. And you know what? If you have a personal preference about COVID, keep it to yourself. Follow the law. So I designed a very targeted, well-thought-out strategy to blow this mandate up. And uh, the mayor gave us a bit of an extra hand because he decided in March, hey, I'm going to exempt um, professional athletes and performers because they bring more money in than the hardworking people who have dedicated their careers to serving the public. Now, that is just on his face asinine. And what he did was he, he really opened up... Um, a big hole to knock the whole thing out. And he even made it worse because then he made an exemption for the private sector. So now we have this mandate that's only applicable to public employees. There's no rhyme or reason. It's completely arbitrary. Now, those arguments were made before, though. So I had to do a lot of legal gymnastics and strengthen these arguments, make new arguments that weren't made to really just spell it out very clearly. And, you know, it, it prevailed. And I can't think of a greater contrast between sanitation workers and your professional athletes, like your Kyrie, Irv Kyrie Irvings, I don't follow basketball, but, you know, here's a guy making multi-millions of dollars and he doesn't have to get vaccinated. He could wipe his sweat and, and spit into the crowd, but, the people picking up his garbage, they have to get vaccinated. Can I just tell you, Chad, my husband is a big fan of basketball and he's a Boston Celtics fan and Kyrie Irving used to pay, play for the Boston Celtics. And <clears throat> so we follow, my son's a big basketball fan as well. And so they followed it. And for people who don't know, what happened was that because of the mandate in New York City, Kyrie Irving was allowed to travel with the team and go and play in other cities, but he wasn't allowed to play in any home games. He refused to take the shot. He stood on principle and he said, you know, if we give this, if we cede this ground to the government, what else will they take? And he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And so, I mean, this is one of the most talented um, players in the entire NBA. He's one of the most highly paid and he refused to play. And New York City, finally, what happened was um, they made a mockery of the fact that Kyrie could go and play in other cities, but he couldn't play in New York City. And so then the mayor implemented this sort of 
two-tiered system where oh, performers and athletes can play. And it just showed you what kind of a hypocrite this man was, right? I mean, he was also, oh, yeah. the mayor was also meeting with health freedom activists well before he took office. And he was reassuring them that he was going to stand by our side. That's what he was doing. So it's kind of, um, I think it's very interesting that this is what he was doing. He was really playing in games and being a clear politician. And thankfully, you, Chad, <laughs> showed him for the hypocrite that he is, because that's what it comes down to, pure hypocrisy. Yeah. They don't give a darn about the working people, but the people who can make them, who can embarrass them on social media and in the public you know, um, square, well, we'll give them a pass, right? And so what ended up happening was he couldn't adhere. I mean, the court said, look, this is blatantly ridiculous. In fact, the judge ruled that it was arbitrary and capricious, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. And, and you know, it should have happened sooner. And it, it, it's hypocrite it is an, un, an understatement. And I don't know how people like him can be in public office. I think what he's doing is criminal, to, to be quite honest. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get charged, but think of think of the level of discrimination we're witnessing here, and it's, it's just unfathomable that I never thought I'd see this in my time that a, a mayor or a politician would put on would crown themselves as king and pick winners and losers like this and people just you know walk by like it like it's an okay thing it's not and i don't care how big or powerful the government is or mayor adams people like me we're going to stop you and we're going to push back and we will keep pushing back until we get our rights back yeah you know i don't think we can understate or rather we can't overstate the <clears throat> dangers of what have happened in the last few years. And it hasn't just been Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul in New York or Andrew Cuomo. It's been Governor Brad Little in Idaho, where I live, supposedly a conservative state that respects rights. He's actually going around. He did during the election. He was campaigning on the fact that he claimed that he hadn't locked down Idaho. He literally was lying to the populace. And I think it's really clear to me as an observer and just as an American that these politicians, I don't care which side of the aisle they come from, um, they are buyable. They have been they have been bought and they are more concerned about their own hides and their own um, advancement than they are about the Constitution, the principles that underlie the United States of America or any of our individual rights and the and the and the well-being of the citizens. It's clear. I mean, he lined the pockets of his cronies. I mean, that's what happened. He actually <clears throat> usurped power that was legislative power and started striking laws and um, just decided that he was going to disseminate the COVID funds as he saw fit, which is actually the responsibility of the le legislature. So it's not just Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul. This is something that pervades, unfortunately, our entire nation. And we're truly at a crossroads as a nation. You know, are we going to stand up and fight back? Are we going to stand up and, and, um, and be counted? Or are we going to comply ourselves into essentially slavery? Because that's what they seem to envision. Yeah, you know, we nailed it. 
So Chad, why don't you tell us a little bit more? So where is it now? I understand, I think Hochul or um, has this been appealed? Are they going to appeal it? So tell us what the status is. They, they filed an, an intention to appeal. And in New York, when the government appeals, there's an automatic stay for things that involve monetary um, judgments or something that compels them to do something. So the portion of the judgment that ordered the city to reinstate the sanitation workers with back pay was automatically stayed. Now, this is where confusion kind of comes up. It's still unconstitutional. It's still arbitrary and capricious. And it's not just un unconstitutional in one way. It, it violates the separation of powers, which you just alluded to before, where it's a circumstance where the executive doesn't have the power to do these things. These are legislative functions and they, they just don't care. And it doesn't matter what party they are, are a part of, they're usurping the legislature. Those are our elected officials. It violates the equal protection clause, the due process clause, and is arbitrary and capricious. That doesn't change the appeal, the intent to appeal. They didn't file anything yet. They just intend to appeal. That stuff doesn't get stayed. So right now we're witnessing government sanctioned discrimination and the mayor is just doing whatever he wants to. It's, it's pretty incredible. And people do need to say, no, I'm not going to comply. This is unconstant, unconstitutional to begin with. Uh, appointed administrative officials do not have the power to keep these people out of the workplace. And that's what the judge ruled. And so can I just can I just um, summarize this so make sure that I understand and, and that our viewers understand. So <clears throat> the judge ruled that the employees had to be rehired and paid back pay right away immediately. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, that is. Correct. And then and then the city filed a notice of appeal, meaning that it intends yeah. to appeal. And instead of just taking that, which court? stayed then the lower court's ruling is, is do so, i have it right and which court was it that did that so i it's the second appellate division and in new york we have four intermediate appellate courts and we're in the second department which is in uh, brooklyn new york so to give a, a little background there once i saw that the city wasn't going to comply with the order not just what's automatically stayed but the entire thing, you know, I brought that lawsuit, not just for those 16 sanitation workers, but for everybody in the city. Nobody had come even close to invalidating the, the mandate. And so I wanted to knock it out right from under. And that's what I did. And so I moved for to hold them in contempt. And I asked, I asked the lower court judge to actually put Mayor Adams in jail for 21 days, because I think that's where he belongs. And any other politician who follows in his footsteps, that's where they belong. But the appellate division, they put the stay in place. Um, I could say a lot about that, but I'm, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. And it, it's just so patently unfair. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is an unconstitutional, arbitrary and capricious, makes no sense mandate. And they're eager to keep it going.
still in a state of emergency. It, it, and when you say they, up. let's be clear, you're saying that the judges are eager to keep this going, right? That's so right. Yes. it really, what this what this illustrates is how it's not just our elected officials, it's also the judicial branch is involved in this whole charade, essentially. Oh yeah, One, Power 100%. Grab. Right, and you, you've experienced it as, as well. And it's impossible, near impossible to beat something that's unfair when it's a rigged system. We've got all three branches of government, whether it's held by Democrats or it doesn't matter. One political party controlling everything, it just creates this huge insurmountable kind of roadblock. Even when you win, they're still eager to prevent that win from coming to fruition. I haven't seen really any impartiality with these COVID cases, uh, you know, except your case. Um, and I've seen the Supreme Court be impartial. Um, and that's all they have to be, impartial. I thought it was very interesting the way that the Supreme Court ruled on that one day when they issued the, um, they struck down the OSHA mandate. So the Biden administration had issued a vaccine mandate for all employers with more than 99 employees. And um, that was challenged. And it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court struck that down. But the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare also issued a mandate for their employees, all their healthcare workers, anybody who took um, Medicaid or Medicare funds. And the Supreme Court upheld that, which I just found stunning because we already knew at that point that these shots do not do what they're purported to do. They do not stop transmission or infection. So on what basis were they doing this? And what was even more alarming to me is that the justices, several of the justices clearly don't understand the facts. They didn't understand the facts of the case. They don't understand the facts around the shots. They clearly didn't read the amicus briefs that were submitted by um, an amicus brief as a friend, friends of the court. So other organizations can submit um, a brief which sort of educates the court about aspects of the case that may not have been um, touched on by the parties to the case. And the Supreme Court justices completely dismissed those amicus briefs in their decision. I just was stunned. What did you think about it? Same, same thing. I, I, I couldn't believe what, what I was seeing. And these are the most brilliant legal minds in, in, in the country. And I, 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 I was just baffled. Justice Sotomayor and Kagan, um, they're, and I think that's a great example of, of the bias because they're just disregarding the reality of things and drafting these opinions that make no sense and are not backed by any legal precedent. Whereas in the OSHA case, makes sense, right? Uh, I, I hone in on the fact that the court said, you know, COVID is not a work specific issue, right? It, it, it's prevalent anywhere you go and the risk of getting it outside in a store or anywhere else is just as much as if you're in a workplace. That should have set the tone. And then I think you're referring to the Biden v. Missouri case where they just, you know, went the opposite way and just ruined the lives of thousands of healthcare workers, people who 
were there when no one else was. And they did it because of their own feelings. Sotomayor was just so removed from the facts of what's going on. And it's a travesty. It really is a travesty to see at the highest level that bias. They they didn't even appear to be impartial, in my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I don't even know if it's um, bias. I think it's 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 sheer ignorance. I mean, it was almost as if they were um, had been watching one side of cable news or something like that, and they were <laughs> taking their talking points from there because they were they clearly hadn't read the briefs, they clearly didn't know the facts, and they concluded that that healthcare workers, that patients who went to these medical facilities, had the right to believe and trust that the people who were treating them couldn't make them sick. But the problem is that's not possible given that these are not, um, do not confer immunity or prevent transmission. And so it was just nonsense. The whole, I mean, it was nonsense. That's all I can say. And so it's truly heartbreaking. I mean, when I, when I read that, I was so distraught because um, it was impossible to reconcile those two decisions. And they came out, didn't they come out the same day or within 24 hours? I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. It, totally, total shocker. And it, it hinged on, you know, one one justice, the chief justice, for some reason, went with the majority there. But I, I don't know how, you, I don't know how you can reconcile it. Yeah. And I, 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 I do think that, the dissent was way more powerful of the dissenting justices. And when you read their dissents, you know, that it, it makes sense. They, they are applying logic to facts. They're using the law. They don't just recklessly abandon um, what the reality is. And so, yeah, your, your theory is probably more viable than mine, that they're just getting this information from one news channel or one source, yet they're ignoring what's right in front of them. So Chad, let's switch a little bit and let's talk about one of your other successes. Tell us about your mass case. Give us a little bit of the background and what happened with it and where it stands today. So with, with the mass case, um, again, I, I, I challenged the, I sued the governor, the commissioner of health for the state um, and went to court and Luckily, I had an impartial judge. That's all. That's all I'm asking for: impartial judge. And uh, we just, you know, mopped the floor with the, with the state. They were totally unprepared. And I don't know if you've seen this common theme. They go in very, very arrogant because I'm going into court and they've already won every single case prior. So I'm having to jump over the mountain of these ten or so cases. But it was they were just completely unprepared for. For what was to come and again I, I i laid out the arguments very very clearly one mistake i avoided was to not make it about the vaccines or, or the mask or the science because at that time you still have people who are putting all their eggs in the, in the mask basket i'm a pro-choice person not an anti anything and when you look at the masks and they have holes in them, we could, I could have gotten into that, but I didn't. Just based on a matter of law, I, I attacked this regulation. And 
uh, Kathy Hochul made up this new form of governance called masking determinations. It's wild. So I just want to talk a little bit about it because it's, it just it blows my mind and it's, and it's hard to really grasp how bad this is for lots of regular folks. Um, we have rules, we have laws, we don't have determinations that have the full force and effect of law. It's a made up thing. And the governor made it up. She gives her commissioner of health the power to make these masking determinations and they are limitless. She can, she held them on just for children and then made it applicable to everybody in this entire state, just like that. No time limit. It could be forever. And it's, it's the magnitude of, um, can you imagine one person having all that power? And so, you know, the, the, ju the judge struck it down as unconstitutional. He went a step further. And as we were asking, he he's enjoying the state from promulgating this rule altogether. And he made it very simple. And it's, look, if you want this regulation to be in existence, go to the legislature. That, that's who needs to be making this thing. You know, there's no such thing as masking determinations. And um, after that, you know, victory, there was the next day, children got to go to school without masks for the first time in years. You saw their smiles, you heard their laughs. Mm. They finally got that little little taste of normalcy that they, they were just dying for. And other children who wanted to wear masks, they could. It was how it should have been, choice. And that was short-lived because the governor appealed. And this time they asked the court in its discretion to stay the whole thing. And we had quick oral arguments and the state's reasoning for this stay was essentially, if you take away this power, then we're helpless to defeat COVID and pretty much everyone will die. That was, that was their argument. It was a fear mongering <laughs> argument. It was pathetic. And the court, they bought it. Now, I moved to vacate this stay two months ago, three months ago in August, because at that point, what do they have to fall on? Nothing. The court still hasn't rendered a, a determination. So we have this un unconstitutional, ungodly beast of a, 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 a power um, in the hands of one person and the court is just dragging it along and I don't think it's a coincidence. It's the most undemocratic thing that, that could possibly occur and you know people are feeling down and, and um, dejected because when you can't even get it get justice in the place where it's the last vestige of our three branches, then where do we go, right? But 
uh, we're going to keep putting pressure on them because we're not, we're not going to tolerate it now. And, and this power should never be in anyone's hands. And parents are not going to just stand by and allow their children to be forced in mass like this. The, the consequences are just devastating. Yeah. So just so I'm clear, our kids, school kids in New York are in masks still? They're not. But They're not. Okay. Just as, as in, in Idaho, where you knew what was going on behind the scenes, despite the public facing lies, uh, Governor Hochul did the same exact thing. So also in March, um, she went on TV and she said, I'm lifting this mask mandate. The, n- n- no one gets it right, not the news. And I've spoken with judges who, and I, br- I bring it up and they go, wait, did, didn't that thing get lifted? It's like, they have no clue. There was no mandate. She can't lift it. So she just circumvented not only the legislature the first time around, but she now is circumventing the rulemaking process, which in New York we participate in. They have to have public comments. I don't know if, if there's a similar process in Idaho. I'm sure there is. Um, she just circumvented it on live television, canceling out this made-up thing, saying she's lifting it, but she didn't. And she's still, every two months, pushing this through as an emergency. And in fact, it's expired already. It it expired in August of 2022. But because the executive branch is run by, you know, this is their boss. What are they going to do? So they extended it out to December and they're playing around with, with our laws and our democracy. So kids are not in masks, but just like that, she can activate it. And these are the state's words. They say they can activate it and deactivate it. And it's scary. It is scary. That's exactly what it is. It's... <clears throat> It's really important that people understand that the the courts are a peaceful way to resolve disputes and problems and a peaceful way to hold government accountable. I think our our country has one major flaw. I mean, it has many flaws, but one major flaw is with our um, political and judicial system. And that is that they can promulgate laws. So the legislature can pass laws or the governor can issue edicts like Hochul has done. And then it's then we have to actually prove that it's wrong. We have to sue. Right. And that's wrong. The, there should be some mechanism by which the um, judicial branch or someone vets every law in order to determine whether or not it's constitutional before it's allowed to take effect. Because it shouldn't be on our backs to amass tens of thousands of dollars to sue and challenge these people. But this is what's happened. I mean, essentially, our country has devolved into this undemocratic, unfair um, uh, police state. That's what's happening. And I know that maybe sound extreme to some of our viewers, but that is clearly, you know, very clearly what's happening. And it's very sincerely my view that they keep extending the emergencies because it affords them extraordinary powers. And so the Biden administration just extended the emergency through next spring, I think April, March or April. 
what in the world for? It's crazy, you know? So I just want to drive that point home that the courts should be unbiased. They should be a neutral place where we go in order to settle disputes peacefully. That's the peaceful solution. But that's being taken away from us. And when that's taken away from the people, ultimately things don't end very well. I will just say that. I I couldn't agree more. And I love how you very succinctly put it. And it's not an exaggeration. It, it, it Our country has become a police state where our government thinks that they have the right to tell us what to do over things that are within our province, decisions we make daily, and that they know what's best for us. And it, it, it's sickening because the slippery slope is real. It's a real A hundred percent, 100 percent. So Chad, let me just ask you something. Um, yeah, sure. You live in New York. New York pushed harder than perhaps any other state, maybe California was right up there, on all of these measures, all of these policies. And much to my dismay, most New Yorkers, at least in the city, complied willingly. They didn't seem the least bit bothered by it at all. They were not resistant. They were unbelievably quiescent. I mean, just, I couldn't believe how compliant they were. How how have people responded to what you have done, people in your community and and you know, what's been the kind of response that you've gotten? So um, I live a little bit south of the city on Long Island. Um, on Long Island and in upstate New York as well, the huge support, just tremendous support. Um, people, I mean, the day we won, people were just ecstatic and and crying and smiling and mm-hmm. And um, you know they are the opposite of these folks in the city. And they're they're at first they were a little compliant, but there there's more than enough have seen what is going on now, and I'm really proud that the public, especially you know on Long Island, are starting to get much more involved in the process, including the rulemaking process, and trying to make sure this never happens again. So next time around, whatever shenanigans the governor might try to pull, she's not going to be met with that passive resistance that she got the first time. And here, here's the kicker to it also. The first time around, um, our county executive here, uh, very I'm talking very local government, he actually put out his own executive order saying, no schools you can decide for yourselves we're not going to fine you because the mechanism for fining schools or other entities laid in the hands of the local health departments and so our local county executive said no we're not using our, our local health department for that the scariest thing after that though was the schools were still complying but now parents no more and and that is why so many people did not vote for Kathy Hochul here. Um, she should have had a landslide victory. It's not about parties here. It's the backlash to her just draconian COVID policies. And she still hasn't gotten the message, but she will. She tries it again. 
So I'm being mindful of time. I'd like to ask you one more question, if that's okay. Of course, absolutely. I love talking so, about this. So. <laughs> um, it, it seems like COVID, this whole COVID chapter in our history is what really brought you into the health freedom movement. I'm just yes. wondering, how has it changed your worldview? Well, it's changed my worldview in a significant, significant way. One I realized how detached from government I was, even in practicing law, I didn't pay attention to the inner workings of our government and what was going on. And as I got involved, the more I see, the worse I see the problems <laughs> and the freedoms that are at stake. And so, I can't go back to practicing any other type of law ever again. Um, and I will defend our, our health freedoms. And it was really something that I sadly was not uh, aware of. And for many people, once your freedoms are taken away or your liberties taken away, that it's usually a, you know, a slap in the face to get moving. And um, I, we have a lot of work to do. But I'm I'm happy to be part of this fight. I think it's a, a wonderful group of folks united all over the country as we speak right here. And at the end, I, I think together collectively, you know, I know collectively that we we can get our rights back and restore our, our health decisions and our freedom to choose what we think is best for our health our family's health and our children's health. Chad, just following up, if I may, on that, so that we can end on a high note too, what can people do in your mind? What can the average citizen across the United States who, is, who has become passionate about these issues in the last couple of years, even if they were unaware of them like yourself before COVID, what can these people do in order to help affect that change so that we do restore our rights, that we do restore the rule of law and the ideals that Americans used to hold so dear? Great, great, great question. And I think that there, there's a lot of things they can do. The boilerplate response is always call your local politician. That doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it here. People should educate themselves as best as they can about just basics of government and history, how it works and use those rights. And remember that this is our government. They work for us. We do not work for them. So if you're timid about going into a court and asking or demanding um, an update on a case or what's going on, don't be, that's your courthouse. It's our courthouse, it's our government. And I would encourage people to be involved, to look at what's going on. And with the internet, you can just, most states will, and the federal government, they, they'll show you what bills are being introduced, who's introducing them, pay attention to what the, these politicians are really doing as opposed to what they're saying, because two different things. And most of all, think for yourself, you know, the, New York City, you, you really hammered it home there. It was like being in a dystopian future when you, you go in or come out of the subway and you see the sprawling city with buildings 
bigger than you could ever imagine yet. People walking with their mask on like it's normal, not thinking for themselves, just doing whatever they're told. And I guess that would be my main main thing. Don't just do what you're told. Think. Think, does this person even have the authority to tell me what to do? Think for yourself. Whatever solution or answer you come to, just think for yourself. Don't be controlled by all the noise around you or by the people in your inner circle. Think for yourself and don't comply with uncon unconstitutional edicts. We don't have a king here. We never will. And we want to keep it that way. Fantastic. Um, really wise words. I love them, Chad. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing your opinions and thoughts and experiences on conversations on health freedom. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Leslie. And, and thank you for all the work you're doing. Because without trailblazers like you, people like myself wouldn't be able to follow. So thank you. Thank you very much.